It's Talking Football with Vince Tracy and Rob Daniels. So, a very good day, everybody. It is Friday, the 4th of March. Here on the Costa Blanca, it is a very, very strange uh, change in the weather. Well, we did know there was a, a weather front coming in. Um, we've got uh, rain. Oh, we've had rain during the night. Uh, pretty constant. Pretty heavy. It's grey this morning. The cloud is on the mountain, but you can obviously uh, see through it. But um, yeah, not the best of weather. Let me get in the car, down the motorway, across the mountain range and down to Playa San Juan. And uh, we'll say good morning to Rob Daniels. And Rob, uh, has the weather changed for you as well? Yeah, good morning, Vince. Good morning, everybody. Yes, um, the weather changed yesterday evening and it was raining all night. It sounded like it was quite heavy rain, actually, um, when I was inside last night. It, it sounded like it was coming down quite heavy. It's very, very overcast today, very grey sky, and it is still spitting with rain now, which um, there's nobody about at all, as you can imagine. The uh, local people don't like the rain. And, yeah, very, very sombre weather, which sort of tends to suit the mood a little bit, doesn't it? Yeah. OK, well, look, um, obviously the remit is to try and look at matters in the football sense. And uh, one of the first things that we want to look at is the ownership of Chelsea Football Club, because who would have thought uh, that a week ago um, we would be today discussing the fact that Roman Abramovich is going to sell Chelsea, has had to sell Chelsea, and that uh, John Terry, who obviously had been, um, you know, instrumental in the success on the field of Chelsea, um, has um, paid tribute to his former boss on Twitter uh, after the billionaire obviously announced his plans to sell Chelsea, been with them for 19 years. And, um, you know, I don't think uh, Terry was doing anything in any other way than sort of saying goodbye to somebody he'd worked for and with. Uh, but then um, immediately uh, you've had the MP Chris Bryant, um, who's called on uh, John Terry to take down his twit or tweet or whatever we want to call it. And um, uh, he has said, I think, John Terry, you should take this down as soon as possible. The people of Ukraine are being bombed, shelled and murdered while you celebrate Abramovich. And um, I'm very uh, aware of the fact that, um, you know, th there are innocent people immediately being branded as this, that or the other. It's a very, very sad situation. And, you, you know, immediately out of the window, everything good thing that uh, Russian people have done has seemingly dissipated straight away. So um, I would like to state very, very quickly that our thoughts and prayers are going to the people of Ukraine who are suffering this outrageous invasion of their country. And then I would add also that I'll bet you there's a lot of Russian people who basically uh, don't want to be involved in anything like this, you know, because like everybody around the world, uh, we just want to enjoy our football and our lives. And uh, there has been a number of weeks now when I've told anybody that wanted to listen that the, the whole thing is a lot more sinister 
um, than Brexit, than um, the COVID stuff, than all the other things. Uh, it's all, I think, part of a jigsaw. So we'll put that to one side. We've certainly um, noted that uh, we want to send our best wishes and hopes and thaws, thoughts and prayers that there will be an end to this conflict. Um, but now we're talking football. We're not talking politics. We're talking about uh, what Abramovich has done uh, with the football club and how Chelsea uh, sort of came into eminence over a golden period through his money. And then, of course, that opened the floodgates. Then later, we had um, Manchester United, of course, um, have always been involved with American money. Um, and, of course, Manchester City, the Saudis, Liverpool with American money, various other clubs with uh, investment from around the world. So much as we would like to think we're talking about English football, we're not really talking about this. We're talking about ownership of English football. Your thoughts on Abramovich and what he's done for Chelsea and with Chelsea? Well, yeah, well, uh, Robin Abramovich, as most people will know, um, everybody will know now is listening to this at least, he has been the owner of uh, Chelsea Football Club for the last 19 years. And he, it's, he was actually very much involved in the day-to-day uh, -day running of the club, wasn't he? He attended matches. Um, he was one of the one of the few owners of football clubs in the Premier League at the moment who actually made his presence at the games and he got really, really into it. I think it was um, a case of big boys' toys. He could afford to buy a football club that he liked. He bought it when he was very young. He bought it when he was about in his mid-30s. He's in his mid-50s now. And <clears throat> I think he's enjoyed his time there. They've won 21 trophies under him in, in the last 19 years. And he has decided that he's going to um, sell the club. Initially, he decided that he was going to leave it in the hands of some kind of um, charitable trust. But then he changed his mind and decided that he's going to actually sell the club um, to try and protect them, as far as I can see, from any possible sanctions that um, any government might make on Russian citizens, because he is a Russian citizen. And he is um, a close business um, contact, if you like, of uh, Vladimir Putin. He was with Boris Yeltsin um, as well, the previous Russian leader, um, because he's an extremely wealthy man and he made his money when he was very, very young. But I don't think he's particularly gets involved in the politics. I think he gets more involved in the economic side of things. And he basically wants to distance himself um, from any connection with it at all. Like a, a lot of Russian people at the moment don't seem to be particularly enthusiastic about what ha what's happening. But such a high-profile um, figure, I think he's done the. I think he's done the right thing. Um, I think he's said the right kind of things when he's mentioned it. He, he basically, yes, he, he doesn't want to prejudice the club. Um, he hasn't actually come out openly and said that he's against um, what the uh, Russians are doing at the moment. But he's definitely not in favour. In fact, his ancestry is is Jewish. Is uh, Roman Abramovich. And he's on his mother's side, his grandparents were actually Ukrainian Jews who had to flee uh, during the war. So he is he's caught in a difficult position, isn't he, really? Well, I think and, all, um, all, all these high profile people, everybody involved in anything that's to do with, um, you know, sort of the ownership of Russian money coming into an English football club and that sort of thing. 
Um, I think they have to be very guarded about what they say. I think if he'd have gone very, very public and criticised um, the, the the actions of his government or, you know, the government of that country, um, then obviously he would be fearing for his life. So, I, I mean, I do understand why he might not have immediately come out and condemned the action. I don't necessarily think that that's what he, he um, would have preferred not to do. But, you know, you've got to be a little bit sensible, haven't you? Because otherwise, um, you know, you're out looking for trouble when there's no need to. Incidentally, this is breaking, and I'm sorry to put, put this one on you, but I've only just seen this. And um, there's the controversial Super League plans, and it looks like they're being resurrected with Barcelona and Real Madrid among those involved. And there's been an angry reaction from the La Liga chief, Javier Tebas. Now, um, have you seen anything on that? Because I'll, I'll continue to read if you um, haven't seen it. I haven't actually, um, Vince. I know, I know that they've been, um, this has been behind the uh, boiler on the back burner, if you like, for uh, quite a long time. I know it's never gone away completely. Okay, I didn't well, know that they had actually put, you, you tell me what you found out. Well, this is on the 3rd of March, so it's yesterday. Uh, La Liga chief Javier Tebas has accused those who want to reignite the Super League of lying more than uh, Putin, which, which again, you know, it might not have been the best thing to say um, because basically um, this Super League thing um, should certainly not be going on at the moment uh, because obviously UEFA faced the backlash to their reform Super League plans. Uh, but President Alexander Seferin has singled out Juventus chief Andrea Agnelli for particular criticism. All this is written in this particular article. Um, and if they are thinking of uh, uh, this particular event in the background, Seferin accused the clubs of using Russia's invasion or, or on Ukraine as a distraction uh, whilst uh, Tebas went on one step further and claimed those involved lie more than the leader of Russia. I mean, this is not the time uh, to be doing any of this. Plus, I think everybody uh, was probably more than aware now that the fans don't want it. So why are people getting involved with these sorts of things? It doesn't make sense, does it? Well, it doesn't make much sense to me, Vince, um, but the fans are always the last people uh, to count, aren't they? The fans really don't count for anything. But um, and they are playing politics, aren't they? Let's face it, all of these um, top football clubs, they run like businesses, but they are, they are like politicians in a way, aren't they? And it, it, it does seem pretty um, bad, in bad taste, doesn't it? Pretty distasteful. That if they're using the situation that's happening now in, in Ukraine to sort of um, try and get the European Super League back under the on the table, if you like, but when the world is concentrating on far more important events. I mean, it does seem rather distasteful to me that they brought it at this time. Even if um, Roba, Roman Abramovich um, has been almost implicit, according to the um, things we're reading in the papers, uh, it does seem to me that if he's saying that he's uh, going to take any profits and and um, give them to um, sort of Ukraine Ukraine's needs. Um, I think that says enough in a background sense for me. I don't know about you. 
Um, but I mean, realistically, if he said that, then surely he realizes that there's a bigger thing that he needs to try and show some sort of um, willingness to help. And I think that's a huge statement, really. Um, uh, I mean, they're talking about three billion. I, I don't really see any football club being worth that. Although having said that, obviously, if you're including all the players as part of the assets, I suppose you've got to talk like that, haven't you? Well, yes, when you when you total it all up, um, it is it will come to a ridiculous figure, won't it? And also, I uh, heard yesterday, I read yesterday, that Chelsea Football Club actually owes Abramovich. He hasn't he hasn't made a profit out of it. He, he actually they actually owe him um, something. I think it's a billion and a half pounds, which again is a ridiculous figure for us to even imagine. But he is going to wipe off that debt so the club don't have to pay it. So yeah, basically he's walking away. <coughs> Excuse me, losing money because I don't think he was particularly in it for the money. No, I he don't. was in it because he enjoyed he enjoy, he enjoys football. It was nice to see the he he, he really got into the matches, didn't he? But um, yeah, he's going to give any proceeds I think from the sale. I'm not sure exactly if it's all of the money from the sale or, or just some of the proceeds, but he's actually going to. Uh, Give those to the victims of the um, present situation in Ukraine, yeah. Uh, and Which also, is a magnanimous gesture, isn't it? He didn't have, he doesn't have to do that. No, uh, and also, if you're going to look back to when he joined um, Chelsea and his particular venture, I mean, we both must have friends who we've known 20 years ago, and over a period of time, they will have changed. I mean, if he's been living in London. Um, obviously watching his football club and everything, um, I would imagine that, uh, you know, his life has changed dramat dramatically uh, since the times that he was in the other country. But never mind. Um, let's go then to uh, the VAR incident next, which the whole world saw a Manchester City player um, with, with the uh, accent on unintentionally probably although you never know these things um, but by what we saw it was a handball and yet VAR goes quiet and then a couple of minutes later uh, because they were 1-0 ahead at Everton Everton would have had a penalty suddenly the whole world has obviously uh, been backed by spec savers because everybody apart from VAR saw it as, as a penalty. Um, Frank Lampard was absolutely livid. And I don't know um, whether or not you've seen the letter that uh, came from the Football Association, uh, but the head of the refs, Mike Riley, apologised to Frank Lampard. Well, yeah, that's part of the problem. Uh, don't forget that whoever c c comes second and maybe might be a couple of points behind um why why are we just limiting it to an apology to uh, everton it's a very very strange and rather sinister situation for me okay did you see the penalty did you think it was a penalty and how do you think about the var way of doing things Oh, Vince, of course, I, I did see the incident, and I think anybody who has seen the incident, whether or not they understand the rules of football or not, um, it was quite an obvious handball in the box, wasn't it, by uh, Rodri? He, he controlled 
that we appeared to control, at least. He actually appeared to control the ball with his arm. It wasn't as if it hit his arm and then bounced off. He actually seemed to control it with his arm. Now, the match referee, Paul Tierney, he was actually um, blindsided by it, if you like. He didn't actually see the incident uh, occur, so he reckons. But, um, and he didn't blow up for it. But then it went to VAR, and the VAR referee is another Premier League referee called Chris Kavanagh. And he ruled it out. He dismissed it as a penalty. Now, I don't think none of the players on either side and none of the backroom staff could actually believe the decision that he'd come out with because the City players knew it was a handball as well. That Everybody knew it was a handball. Everybody in the crowd could see it. Um, everybody who was watching it on TV and watching the repeats on TV, it was so obvious. But the, ref- the match referee and the VAR referee seemed to be the only two people on the planet who didn't actually notice it. Now, what the reasoning is, we don't know because they still don't have to give their justification, do they? Uh, and the apology from Mike Riley, the, um, he's, the, he's the boss of the uh, Referees Association, now he's an ex-referee himself. Um, at least they've made an apology, a written apology, but it isn't, it's not good enough really, is it? Vince? It I mean, isn't good enough. And, and the... Everton are in a really bad position at the moment and that the difference between not getting a point and getting a point if it had been a draw, for example, it changed the whole course of the match and it could have prejudiced Everton's um, survival in the Premier League. Also, from a Man City point of view, Man City, if they do win the title, there are going to be certain people saying, well, Man City had the favouritism of the referee. They shouldn't have the title. So it doesn't really favour either of the teams, does it? And I think it... OK, I don't... I think they should, I think they should be ex- told to explain their decisions. Well, uh, I don't think that anybody would uh, detract from Manchester City's football. I think they've shown everybody that at the moment they play the most wonderful game of football and I don't really blame uh, anything at all onto Manchester City. However, what I do see as a problem is that um, later, or was it earlier that afternoon, I watched the Rugby Union, uh, I watched the International, and the, the minute they had any VAR decision, you hear two voices, one is the referee, and the other one is the adjudicator, and he says, uh, that uh, the, the, the player number 16, his left foot touched the touchline, therefore I cannot award the try, or... Whatever the explanation is, is thoroughly worked out and everybody knows what's being said and why it's being said. Rather than what we see with uh, the VAR in football, which is basically we see the evidence for ourselves and we hear the deafening silence, which tells us that they're probably being told from somewhere Betting's up or betting's down, and we've got a brown envelope whizzing across the uh, the planet to your address. I mean, come on, Th- this is not uh, rocket science, and you know these are only human people who probably. Um, well, anyway, that's my way of looking looking at it because basically I have no way of knowing any uh, anything else. It's too secretive. It's clandestine. Um, Okay, let's go to our third talking point, and this is about um, a rapist called Goodwillie. Terrible name uh, to have to sort of include in this, because obviously it's not a laughing matter. 
if you've got somebody who has been a rapist and gone through the courts and, you know, has been identified, um, for my money, you see, there are those that would say, oh, yes, well, they deserve a, a second chance because they've, um, they've gone through the uh, judiciary. Um, yeah, but the girl that, uh, that has suffered the injustice of what's happened, um, she hasn't got a second chance. She's always got the same memory. And so for me to have somebody on a football team getting changed in the same jet dressing room that, that uh, maybe we're all using, I wouldn't feel very comfortable about that. Um, we're, we're talking at a time when we've got Mason Greenwood going through the courts. We've got Mendy from Manchester City going through the courts. Again, we've told you that VAR isn't good enough. This is worse than VAR to many. It's not a betting thing. This is how we behave in a societal sense. Um, your thoughts on this one then, please, Rob? Right, Vince. Well, for anybody who doesn't know, um, this is a, a player, he's a Scottish, a Scottish player. Um, he is a professional footballer, but he isn't particularly well known, apart from, unfortunately, for his criminal history. Um, he's called David Goodwillie, as you say, is a rather unfortunate name to have in this kind of circumstance. But he has got he's got criminal convictions going back to uh, 2008. He he's been involved in a lot of fights in nightclubs and things like that. And he has, I say, he's, he's, so he's basically <clears throat> I think you could probably call him a bit of a thug because he does have a criminal record for for violence going back till 2008. But um, he was accused with a fellow player of raping a woman in January 2011. Now, he wasn't found guilty. They didn't find sufficient evidence to find him guilty. And I think because it's in Scotland, they have a law, they have a law which is guilty, not guilty. And then they call it not proven or something like that, don't they? Which basically means that they can't make a decision whether he's guilty or not. So he wasn't found guilty in a criminal court. Um, and in 2016, the woman who was involved, the woman who was actually uh, raped by them, took the case to a civil court and they found him guilty and they had to pay her £100,000 compensation. But under criminal law, he, he was found not guilty. So that's the difficult point of law, which I'm not an expert in, but this is what, I could, what I've been reading about. Um, that the thing is, he plays at the moment for a team called Clyde. Uh, it's not Clyde Bank, the uh, team that is probably better known. It's a team called Clyde that play in the um, third division, I think, of uh, uh, Scottish football. But they are a professional team. And he was on loan to a different club. And he played for them for four years after this. Uh, he played for them from 2016 onwards. He was actually a captain uh, for quite a while. But he went out on loan to another club. And then his loan spell ran out and he went back to this club called Clyde. And all of a sudden, the women's football team who represent that club decided that they were not going to play because the, there was a, um, a rapist playing for the male version of the team. And it's, it's all very complicated to understand. But I, what I can't understand is why they would allow a person with that kind of background to actually play professional football because you've got as we I always say Vince and we always talk about kids look up to these people don't they yeah um you talk about Mason Greenwood Mason Greenwood is his bail uh, runs out I think at the end of April 
And we don't know whether or not he's, he's going to renew his bail or not, but Mason Greenwood, 20-year-old Manchester United player, um, he hasn't been training with them since uh, this came out in January. But he is accused of rape as well, isn't he? Yeah. Um, and <clears throat> we've got Mendy, the uh, Manchester City player, not the Chelsea goalkeeper. May I remind everybody, it's not nothing to do with uh, Mendy, the, the goalkeeper. This is Mendy from Manchester City. He is accused, I think, at the moment of seven rapes, and they won't even give him bail. He's actually in jail at the moment, as far as I'm aware. And these people are setting just a terrible example um, to society in general, but especially to kids. Um, but the, the clubs allow them to get away with it, don't they? It, it's not the first time this has happened where a, um, a convicted rapist or players convicted of uh, other crimes. I mean, the, the defence that a lot of them are using um, at the moment is that there are players who have done things such as um, be responsible for deaths in drunk driving incidents, for example. Um, it, is it Marcus Alonso, it, he, uh, the Spanish player, he was he was caught drunk driving and he was in an accident where uh, one of his passengers died. Uh, he got heavily fined for it. This was in Spain before he went to uh, the Premier League. But he was allowed to continue playing. So it's where do they draw the line? But I would say that drunk driving and somebody dying in the accident and raping somebody, I would say that you should be banned for life. Well, there's that's a great... My, that's my personal opinion, Vince. Yeah, I the... don't... There, there is a grey area because obviously um, we're looking at some part of it where you've got clarity through the courts. But then even with the clarity through the courts, you've got people because it's a, a game of football and maybe he can play well for a club. They think that um, th they should be included. Well, you see, that's where maybe for me it's not right. I mean, for example... I think I'm right. You can't own a pub if you or manage a pub if you've um, uh, you, you've done if you've had certain something that's happened. Even something like if you've been a policeman, I think you can't own a pub or be a landlord in a pub. I mean, there are some very very weird rules that apply to some things, and then uh, you know other things. It seems like it doesn't matter. I mean, the, the, there was. Uh, something to do with uh, this player, Goodwilly, and um, the, the sponsorship were going to be withdrawn from, I think it was Wraith. So he's gone back to, or sponsorship withdrawn from Clyde, and he's gone back to Wraith. Uh, who yeah, that's it, yeah, he went, he, went on, he went on loan to Wraith. And, yeah, to do with his past, they decided to uh, cancel sponsorship, did some of the sponsors. So he went back from his loan period. That's right, he went back to the club yeah. that he originally came from. But, but I was yeah. e even sort of questioning my own way of looking at it, um, thinking that I'm acting like a, a judge and jury, and, and I shouldn't do. And yes, I, I understand that. But I think there's a principle involved. <clears throat> if, um, you know, if somebody has done something as heinous as a rape, then really they can still play football. They can play football in an amateur sense. But why should they be allowed to... Um, maybe just pick up the pieces when the 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 female or whatever uh, the 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 victim in in this will never ever get over what's happened and so yeah I I have quite strong feelings of that for that particular reason 
Okay, uh, Rob, very difficult because these sorts of areas uh, leak into very minor things like when the Liverpool football team was um, enjoying the Carabao Cup ce- celebrations. There were a number of the players uh, did some rather silly things. For example, Harvey Elliott, okay, he's only about 17, picked up a flare. Well, he's picked up a warning from the FA for that. Um, Simicus, he was up on the uh, top uh, balcony where they were getting, uh, obviously, the medals and everything, and he spat his chewing gum down, uh, which, again, that's um, obviously incurred a warning from his manager. Um, then you've got a nicer uh, one where uh, Miramino was going to take some champagne, shake it, and, you know, do the usual um, the, the, the winner's champagne bit. And Marnie asked him to put it down because he's a Muslim and he doesn't use alcohol. And, um, yeah, Miramino just quickly put it down and everybody gets on with their celebrations. Talk about football for a minute now. What did you make of the Carabao Cup final? I really enjoyed it, actually, Vince. Um, for a nil-nil draw, um, and a nil-nil draw, nil-nil draw at the end of extra time, Um Went to penalties. I think we we both predicted. I think Eric predicted as well that he would go to uh, extra time and then penalties, didn't we? Yeah. And a lot a lot of the um, pundits on the um, TV and the radio also thought it was very a very tight match. And no one was surprised. I don't think when it went to penalties because it was a very evenly matched game. There was a lot of action for a nil nil. But then when it went to penalties, it became absolutely fascinating, didn't it? Um, I imagine that you were right on the edge of your seat when the penalty shootout came. <laughs> Certainly was. I, I, yeah, I bet, I bet you, I bet you were. And I, I'm, I, I was obviously hoping that Liverpool would win for your sake. But um, as a, even from a neutral's point of view, I mean, it was really, really exciting. It went down to the goalkeepers taking the penalty. It ended up 11-10 to uh, Liverpool. The Liverpool goalie got his penalty, and, and then the um, Chelsea goalkeeper Kepper who's Spanish, he, he came on, especially for the penalty shootout, because it's worked in the past for Chelsea, that Kepa is apparently is a penalty-saving ace, and he came on right at the end of the match, especially for the penalty shootout. He didn't save a penalty throughout the shootout, in fact, there weren't any penalties saved throughout the shootout, and he missed his own. It flew into outer space, didn't it, Kepa's penalty? Well, I think... But it was a really, really exciting match, and, um, yeah, a great advert for... Uh, for English football. Yeah, and, and in notably the um, Carabao Cup. Um, when it came to uh, the uh, the penalties, they were all very, very good penalties. Um, obviously, we were all rather uh, surprised with Tuchel, uh, uh, the way that he uh, put his goalkeeper change with a minute or so to go. Um, but I thought the antics of the goalkeeper were really not very clever because I felt... You, you know, um, from a purist point of view, I thought you were supposed to stay on your line and not move. I thought that was what the uh, the, the the directive was for the penalty uh, for the saver. Um, but he was con- constantly uh, goading the opposition players, which which was most unsportsmanlike. And so um, I'd already said to Anne, well, I said, if there's anybody going to miss a penalty here, it would maybe be uh, rather delightful to see Kepa miss his penalty because he's just been totally unsporting. And sure enough, he kicked his penalty right over the bar. Um, And talking about sporting, I thought it was very nice to see both Milner and Henderson 
going round the Chelsea players and making sure that um, that they sort of were congratulating them on their efforts because they it takes two great teams to make a great match and it was a great match. And um, we may as well leak this into the FA Cup now because obviously the FA Cup and the Carabao Cup have become like uh, Cinderella competitions over the years because a lot of the foreign managers don't really feel the same about these competitions because they don't know the heritage, the same as if we got involved, you and I, with the Copa del Rey, I would have less of an affinity than you because you are part of the Spanish football and have been for a long time. Um, So it's nice to see the managers getting behind these trophies and I've thought that the FA Cup has been very interesting this week. Um, Did you pick up any of the games that you thought were particularly interesting to you? Well, I've been following the, um, the matches and the results. But the one that I found was the most interesting um, was on Tuesday night. It was Middlesbrough against uh, Spurs, wasn't it? Yeah. And I was watching, sorry, I was listening to um, both matches at the same time because Burnley were playing Leicester in the Premier League at the same time. And I found that personally to be more interesting for me being a lead supporter because um, Everton, oh, sorry, Burnley uh, uh, in the relegation zone. However, you sent me a message um, to say, are you keeping track of what's happening at Middlesbrough and Spurs? And Middlesbrough, it went to extra time, didn't it? And then Middlesbrough actually won it in extra time. Now, that I think that was a fantastic performance. When you watch the crowd, it was, it was on the TV, wasn't it? That's that's right. I You said it's on, it's on ITV or something. Yes, that's right. So yeah. I actually watched it. And the Middlesbrough crowd, we know that Middlesbrough is a really historic team, got a great history. Um, not doing too badly at the moment, actually, but... You could see how much it meant to the locals. I mean, they're all wearing bubble hats and, and coloured scarves, red and white scarves, aren't they? Like yeah. in the olden days, there's no, it's, it's very, very, very down to earth. Um, people support Middlesbrough, and it's Chris Wilder, the uh, ex Sheffield Wednesday manager, who is their manager at the moment. He was absolutely ecstatic about them winning, and I, th- I think it's good that um, a team from the Championship can take on a Premier League team who didn't really seem to be that interested, to be honest, did they, uh, Spurs? And and they can be beaten by a team in a lower division, and we're talking about the fifth round here. We're not talking about earlier rounds, so they've all got the cup within their sights. And, um, yeah, I, I enjoyed that match. We've got, also, we've got Southampton got through, Liverpool got through, only 2-1 against Norwich. Um, we've still got one match to play. We're still not in Forest against Huddersfield, yeah. which are both championship teams. So there's going to be at least two championship teams in the quarterfinals. And yesterday, Borum, is it Borum Wood? Uh, they were mm. playing Everton. Everton found it heavy going. I mean, seriously, I thought uh, Borum Wood really did put up a good show. Uh, Liverpool, by the way, they had 10 changes. So obviously, um, you know, Klopp looking ahead to uh, the weekend's game against uh, West Ham. But having said that... Um, they were very competent because, uh, you know, I know that they're down the bottom of the Premier League, but Norwich didn't look really bad. Uh, you know, you've got to give respect to these teams. They are still top-level teams. They might not be the very echelon um, because, obviously, you're going to have a good, bad and middle. But, I mean, having said that, I still think that they're a good team. 
Okay, well, you yeah, well, they 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 went down. They only spent one season in the championship, didn't they, and bounced right up again. Um, but three teams have to go down, unfortunately, don't they? And it looks like Norwich is going to be one of them. Um, we'll have to wait and see who the other two are. Uh, but yeah, it's going to be an interesting uh, final part of the season, isn't it? Okay, we've got some of your Rob's La Liga coming up next. Uh, so here's the jingle. La Liga Roundup with Rob Daniels. Okay, so it's over to you, Rob, and there's a little bit of uh, Copa de Rey in there somewhere, isn't there? Yes, there is, Vince. Well, uh, this week they had the um, FA Cup fifth round, but we also had the uh, second leg of the semi-finals of the Copa del Rey. And eventually the finalists will be Real Betis um, and Valencia. So um, Valencia beat Athletic Bilbao 1-0. It was 2-1 on aggregate. And Betis drew against Real Americana, but they won the first match, so Betis went through. Now, this is the, Valencia's only possibility of getting a European place this, this season, because Betis will probably get a place, a European place, with their league position. But um, Valencia are not going to get there with a the league position. And it's the winner of the Copa del Rey, not the runner-up. It used to be until two seasons ago. It, um, if the winner of the Copa del Rey had to European place with the league position, it was the runner-up of the Copa del Rey who got into what they now call the uh, UEFA Conference League, which is the third tier of European football. But um, now it's not like that anymore. If the winning team gets in through their own league position, then it is not the runner-up of the uh, King's Cup, it is the next one down in the league table. So Valencia, if they want a European position, they've got to win this match. It's on the 23rd of April, the time and venue to be decided. So um, that should be quite, that be interesting. I mean, it's, it's not as prestigious worldwide as the FA Cup, but it is very, very um, prestigious in Spain. And it's silverware in the cupboard, and if Valencia get in, they'll be, be in Europe next year. La Liga, there were no real surprises. We've still got uh, Real Madrid at the top. Um, most of them have played 26 matches, so we've got Real Madrid on 60. Then in second place, we've got Sevilla on 54. Quite a big drop to Betis, 46. Barcelona match less on 45. And then it sort of goes, variously goes down the table, if you like, as it always does. But at the bottom, we've got Levante. They've only got 18 points. They've actually won two, two of their last three matches and drawn one in the middle. So they're actually having a bit of a pickup at the moment, but they're well out of, well um, away from any of the other teams. They're seven points away from getting out of the relegation zone. Um, then we've got Alaves and Cadiz, who are occupying the further two relegation positions at the moment. It's all still to play for down at the bottom, but Elche, the local team to where I live, uh, 13th place at the moment, and they're keeping well out of it. There's eight points difference between them and the uh, final relegation position. But there's a lot of teams in the mix, so uh, it should be an interesting end to the season. OK, well, we are now uh, 20 minutes to go on this particular podcast. The, f the time is flying by. So we're going to have a look at what happened in the Premier League and then predict what we think lies ahead. So we go back to the... Um, the first game that we were looking at for last week, which was uh, um, it was where are we? Arsenal played Wolves on the Friday, I think it was. So we go to the Southampton versus Norwich game, 
uh, on the 25th. So that uh, was one where we thought a win for Southampton. Um, so it turned out. Um, it was 2-0 and they look good, Southampton. They're, they're a tidy looking team at the moment, aren't they? They are. They're, they're having a good season, actually, at the uh, Southampton at the moment. And um, Ralph Hassan Hope, the uh, manager of Southampton, he is actually being talked about quite seriously about possibly being the next manager of Manchester United um, because he understands the system, he knows Rangnick very well, and he, he, he really is coming across. He, he's built a really good team at Southampton, hasn't he? I think that. Um, I like to watch them play. They're entertaining to watch as well. Yeah. Okay. well, now then, big news from Leeds. Uh, The match on the 26th, Leeds nil, Spurs four. Uh, I thought four goals would go in. Um, You thought that uh, they they would uh, win. Um, No, no, listen, uh, you know, I'm not having to go at uh, anything other than the, the facts. And I'm sad to see Bielsa go because he's brought something uh, to the uh, Premier League. He's brought something to Leeds. He's had great plaudits from various places. Uh, But can this new American guy do any better? That's the question, isn't it? Is he likely to be able to um, make any sort of big influence? Well, this was the... Well, it was Bielsa's final match, wasn't it, Vince? I mean, it, it is a real shame to see him go. Because he built that Leeds team in his own mould, if you like. It was his own ideas of how they played. Um, it, it's been really entertaining football. I think most Leeds supporters were really um, sort of like disappointed, if you like, quite sad to see him go. Um, lots and lots of tributes to him. Um, and But it, it really the results speak for themselves, don't they? It's in the last four matches, Leeds have let 20 goals in. And I think they scored two. And this nil for at home against Spurs. Spurs are on a dodgy patch of form as well, aren't they? I mean, they uh, they lost they lost against Middlesbrough in the cup. So um, it, unfortunately, I think it was time for Bielsa to go. Whether or not this uh, Jesse March, the um, American manager, who's just coming to take over, whether or not he can do anything with them or not. We'll have to wait and see. Um, he understands exactly. He hasn't come in with his eyes closed. He's um, He knows what he's taking on. He knows who the players are. He's another one of the uh, sort of Rangnick kind of group of managers. They come through the Red Bull system. He's managing, He's part German. He's American, but he's got German family. So he's been managing in Germany for the last few years. Um, and he's, he's apparently he's quite good. So he'll need a translator as well, probably, because he's already he's already mentioned the fact that he realises that in England people don't like the word soccer, so he refers to it as football and things. But um, yeah, it's hard to see uh, Bielsa go. Just cur- out of curiosity, there's a pub called the Old Peacock, which is um, one of these nicknames is the Peacocks, and it's really close to Ellen Road Football Ground. It's where a lot of the fans. It's packed every every time there's a home match. Regardless of what division we're in, it's packed every time before before a match. They've actually got permission off the council to change it until the end of the season. They've changed the name of the pub to the Bielsa, out of respect for him. And they had to apply for a license, and Leeds City Council gave them the license to call it the Bielsa until the end of the season. So, an end of an era, and let's hope that uh, Jesse March can do something with us. 
Great. Great background news, by the way. The great um, background information. Well done on that. Um, Brentford at home to Newcastle. Now, uh, we've got Brentford seemingly on a downward trend. Newcastle resurgent under Eddie Howe. Um, even with the loss of Trippier, we both thought that uh, Newcastle would win this one. And so it proved to do. Um, Brentford nil, Newcastle 2. Well, yeah, Brentford are on a, a downhill run at the moment, aren't they? And they uh, are right on the verge of a relegation battle. In fact, they, they are really in the mix of a relegation battle. As you say, Eddie Howe has got Newcastle basically rejuvenated. Um, Kieran Trippier's out, but also Alison Maximan's still out as well. The, and he is one of their top players. Yeah. So he's managed to build them into a decent fighting unit, hasn't he? Um, and... They're out of danger at the moment. If they keep going out, this Newcastle will stay up. Um, and one of the um, most interesting points of that match, apart from the result for Newcastle, is that Christian Eriksen, um, the Danish player, had the heart attack in the Euros in the match against Finland. Um, he signed for Brentford in the transfer window and he started on the bench. But um, Thomas Frank, who's also Danish, he, he knew Christian Eriksen from uh, managing the Danish under-21 team. Um, he said before the match that Christian Eriksen would come on during that match and play. And when he came on, in the, it was in the second half he came on and he got a standing ovation from everybody in the crowd. And he looked as fit as a fiddle and he actually made some difference to Brentford's match. So uh, it's, it's great to see him back on the pitch after eight and a half months after he had that near-fatal heart attack. Yeah. OK, we went to Brighton for the next game where the visitors were Aston Villa. Um, I thought it'd be a draw. You thought that Brighton would win. And so Villa turned the tables. Brighton nil, Aston Villa two. Yeah, now I don't know what's happening at Brighton at the moment, but Brighton are having a, a, a run of seriously bad results, aren't they? Um, and at home as well. Villa were going through a bit of a dodgy patch, but seem to have picked themselves up. But yeah, I, I can't work out what's happening with Brighton. They're not in a dangerous position, and neither are Villa. So it's like a mid-table clash. But um, yeah, Brighton seem to be going through a very rough patch. Yeah. OK, now Palace Burnley, we saw this one as a draw. It turned out a draw at 1-1. You can't really say too much about this, apart from the fact that Burnley are fighting like mad for the points. So unless there's something you particularly want to add, um, I'd, I'd rather go to Manchester United playing Watford, which, again, we both thought Manchester United would win. A draw, nil-nil, against Watford is not really good home for, for Manchester United. I'm very surprised with that one. Yes, now, um, you would expect more from Manchester United, wouldn't you? Um, especially at home and especially against Watford, who are in a relegation position. So it's a very good point for Watford, actually. It won't get them out of trouble, but it's, it's a point in the right direction. But Man United's finishing was absolutely dreadful. Um, Cristiano Ronaldo hit the post, um, and then he got one in, but it was ruled offside, and that was in the first 15 minutes. In the first half, Man United had 10 shots, with one of them being on target. And Watford didn't have any shots at all in the first half. Um, but, it's, but it's balls in the back of the net, isn't it? Man United had one, 10 shots and got one on target. He didn't go in. In the second half, Anthony Langer, the young laddie, missed a sitter, and Cristiano missed a goal that you would expect him to get in with his eyes closed. Um, he's not having a very good relationship with uh, Ralph Rangnick, isn't Cristiano, I don't think, and they apparently have had words. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and he's not guaranteed an automatic place in the team. Um, he has to earn it like everybody else. So I, I bet that went down with Cristiano. But I think uh, Ralph Rangnick is probably right. If, you, if you're if not getting them in, you're not getting in the team sort of thing. OK, look, uh, because of the time, I'm just going to quickly mention Everton really, really deserved at least a point against Man City. I thought they played very well. Uh, West Ham surprised us when they defeated Wolves, although it didn't just dis- surprise you. You actually saw that one at 2-1, which was the result. Um, sorry, 1-0 was the result. But uh, let's go to the um, looking ahead now. Um uh, so we've already had on Tuesday Burnley played Leicester um, and um, Leicester won that one 2-0. So um, let's go to Leicester against Leeds. Give us your thoughts on what will happen. Oh, I, I'm not going to go against Leeds, Vince, but I'm going I'm to actually put this one down as a draw. I'm going to put it down as a one-all draw um, because we've got the new manager in. Leicester are not brilliant this season, but they're not bad either. So, let's put it down as a one-all and let's hope Leeds win. <laughs> OK, well, I've put it down as Leicester 3, Leeds 0. I'm sorry, I don't want to uh, go against your club. It's just basically Leicester did manage to get two goals at Burnley, which is a tough call. Um and is, uh, is you're realistic, Vince. I mean, Leeds are in a really bad place at, at, at this stage in the season. So, yeah, um, yeah, I don't blame you for that at all. OK, my, my heart would be that uh, Leeds would do well, but that's what I think. Now, Burnley, I've actually got Chelsea going up to the frozen wastes. Uh, sadly, it's an afternoon kickoff, which means that it's not quite as dire as playing in the evening. So I think it will end up as Burnley 1, Chelsea 2. I think I think Burnley Burnley are playing okay at the moment, aren't they? And they're not getting the results that they require, but they do require results. They need points. I think Burnley might actually do this two-one. Okay, um, I mean Deitch certainly knows how to um, scrap at the end of the season, so there's mm, no and, reason. And they're, and they're playing at home and they're desperate for the points. So I think the, the players and the crowd will be behind them. Um, and uh, yeah, this is what I think. I think Burnley could do it. Okay, uh, right. We've got 10 minutes left, and we have quite a few of the fixtures to look through. Aston Villa at home to Southampton. Now, Aston Villa did get that win against Brighton. Southampton continue to look good, especially on the road. I see this one will be 1 1. I've got an answer to two wins. OK, well, we're on the same page with that one as we go next to Norwich. Big scrap, bottom of the table. Norwich against Brentford. Well, Norwich don't look as bad as maybe we always seem to see them. It depends who they're playing, of course. Brentford, it's going to be a huge game, this, for both of them. I think Norwich will win this 2-1. It is a big game for both of them, isn't it, Vince? Um, because they're both in very desperate situation. Uh, Norwich are in a desperate situation. Brentford are getting themselves into a very bad situation. I can actually see this being a nil-nil, Vince. I, it, it could either be a, a really good match to watch, but I suspect that it might be like a paint dryer because um, neither of the teams can get the ball in the back of the net. I've got it down as a nil-nil. OK. Now, we have Newcastle um, definitely looking good 
they're playing Brighton. Now, Brighton are going through a bit of a dip. Newcastle definitely resurgent. So I think it's going to be Newcastle 2, Brighton 0. Right, I've got two uh, two goal difference as well, Vince. I've got it down to three one to Newcastle. Um, I was I was doubting three nil or three one, but I went for three one to give Brighton the benefit of the doubt. But yes, Newcastle are resurgent, and Brighton are going through a dodgy patch without being in any danger. Okay, our next game is down at Wolves, where uh, they seem to have just slipped a little bit. They're still difficult to score against. And Crystal Palace, who, um, I don't know, some weeks they play so well, some weeks it's not so well. I can see this one being a 1-1 draw. That's exactly what I've got, Vince. And I was thinking on the same lines as what you've just said, actually. So, yeah, but it has a 1-1 as well. OK. Um, the next game on the Saturday is Liverpool take on West Ham. Um, you know, Liverpool have got to win. They don't have an option. West Ham, well, they sometimes play extremely well, sometimes uh, just a little bit lacking. I think Liverpool will shade it 2-1. I've got it down as Liverpool 3-1, Vince. Yeah, uh, Liverpool have got to basically win all the the points that they can to stay within a chance of catching City, haven't they? And um, yeah, West Ham a bit dodgy. Liverpool playing at home, I've got it down as a 3-1. Okay. Um, that's, of course, with the uh, gap back to six points after the Man City VAR decision. So we'll see what happens there. We go to Watford on the Sunday and they are hosting Arsenal. So this is a big London derby. Now, we know Roy is working hard on the defence. However, Arsenal, they do attack. They do give you a game. They do want to come and play football. So sadly, Watford won Arsenal two for me. I seem to be going one goal more than you in uh, all of these matches, Vince. I've got down as a one-three to Arsenal. What what's for his defence? I think it's probably too late in the season to show them up, to be honest. And um, if Arsenal are on target, I can see Arsenal um, beating Watford one-three. Okay. Now, if Manchester United want to prove to the manager that they can play football, there is one game that they will want to do it in. And that is the derby with Man City on Sunday. And quite honestly, I really do feel that Manchester United might surprise everybody. However, I'm going on current form. Only on what I can see. I see a great Manchester City team. I I see a pretty mediocre Manchester United team. If you go by what the form shows us, it should be Manchester 3, Manchester City 3, Manchester United 1. I can't really see it changing, but I won't be surprised if that's how it all reverses because these games are big psychological games. What do you think? Well, it's, it's bragging rights, isn't it, basically, between the two teams, and this is um, a really important match for both of them. Um, so I think on the run of form, as you say, I think Manchester City should win it. But because it's a derby and because a lot of the Man United lads are local lads as well, um, they they will be going all out, I think, to try and um, prove themselves and also try to take the um, championship, try to take the Premier League off City if they can. I can't see Man United winning it, but I can see it being a good match with two all at the end of the, at the, end of the result. OK, like I did say, nothing would surprise me, uh, especially a, a VAR decision. 
uh, behind closed doors and Mickey Mouse looking after the way that the um, the decision is made. Anyway, you, you, you said you said earlier in this podcast, Vince, that um, that it wouldn't influence anybody's thinking about Manchester City, and it, it does, doesn't it? That it does, that bad bad decision. They got the points, but it doesn't. It, it takes away from Man City's brilliance, doesn't it? In a way, they it don't does. need that to help them. I mean, they are a brilliant team. I think anybody yeah. who doesn't say that is churlish. I think. Um, you know, you've got to accept that they are a wonderful team to... It's a joy to behold, but um, dodgy decisions. Yeah, we've made the point, so we'll go to the last game yeah. where Tottenham um, host Everton. Now, this is going to be quite an interesting game. Tottenham, you know, they have the potential. Son, a fantastic player. I love watching him. Uh, Harry Kane, it depends on which Harry Kane's going to turn up, doesn't it? You know, um, mm. is it going to be Harry... Kane, uh, you're only supposed to blow the bloody doors, or is it Harry Kane just a whimper and um, looking disappointed all the time? Uh, Everton, on the other hand, well, you know, they didn't look good against Boreham Wood. Uh, it's got to be Tottenham 2, Everton 1 for me. I've got one goal more as well, Vince, in that one. I've got down as a 3 1 to, uh, to Spurs. And interestingly, just um, coincidentally, the um, the combination of, of Song and Kane, they beat the record of um, of double goals, if you like. But one of them scoring the other assist, they got they've got thirty seven between them now. So they've taken over the um, all time top scorers as a double act for Spurs against Leeds, unfortunately. Well, again, you see, I think it would be churlish for people of uh, any other club to say that uh, Spurs can't play well. Of course, they can play well. It's the inconsistency, which, of course, um, is what everybody wants to bring to the club, is the consistency. I mean, Liverpool turned out with 10 um, fresh faces at the game against Norwich. Now, Norwich, you know, I did say, shouldn't be underestimated. I still think they're a good team. Uh, so Klopp did take a big chance. He put out... Um, 10 plus Alisson. No, uh, yeah, Alisson hadn't played the first, the pre previous game. So to change 10 of your team, it's a big gamble. And, um, you know, now and again, it, it did look as if maybe um, they, were, they were just strolling through the park till it was 2 1. And uh, then they looked a little bit more under pressure. But, you know, I thought it was a very competent performance. Okay, so we've got. Um, a good weekend ahead, plus, of course, we've got the rugby, which makes a big dint in um, my my time for football because, obviously, I love to see the rugby. But going back to the VAR, the big thing is the interpretation of the rules. And when you're clearly explained as to what happened, we see it, we hear it discussed, and then we see the judgment I think if we got the same clarity in VAR uh, with the football, then I think we'd all feel happier, wouldn't we? Oh, we definitely would, Vince. I mean, the uh, rugby union refereeing, as you mentioned earlier on, it is just uh, way far in advance of the um, Premier League, isn't it? The referee explains everything. What I um, find quite um, impressive is that the referees are running up and down all match. They're running up and down, not playing, but they're running up and down as much as the players, more or less. And when they give their explanation of what they've seen, apart from the fact they have to be accurate about it, 
they all speak with a calm voice, don't they? There's no huffing and puffing going on. They all explain it as though they've sort of like just watching it from a distance. And I, I, I think the rugby union refereeing, I think the Premier League and the rest of the football world um, should take a leaf out of their book. Yeah. OK, well, we've had a lot to talk about today. Uh, I'll finish by saying our thoughts, our hopes, our prayers um, of, with all the people suffering on any front at all. But certainly, obviously, we think of Ukraine and uh, basically wish everybody well. And let's hope for a, 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 a good outcome. Let's hope it all finishes soon. That, that's my prayer anyway. Uh, Rob, over to you for the last word. I agree entirely with that, Vince. Um, let's hope it doesn't um, go into a long protracted um, skirmish or war, war, if you like to put it in proper terms. Yeah, let's hope they uh, come to some sort of sensible decision that they can all live by as soon as possible and let everybody else get on with um, not worrying about what's happening there.